Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Plain Sight Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and this episode is going to be a little different. We're going to be doing, like, a movie review or a movie analysis of sorts um, on a Netflix movie, Don't Look Up, with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. And I'm talking about this movie for multiple reasons. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, first of all, it's a pretty good movie. So, I mean, I'll just tell you that and give you my own little review, I guess, uh, first. And then I'll kind of get into the plot and break down pretty much the whole movie I have written out here to talk about certain things about it and you know it's it's an interesting movie especially uh, considering just the state of the world and the times that we're living in there's a lot to talk about in regards to everything that happens in it and in terms of like conspiracy theory shit um the occult that sort of thing there's actually quite a bit to talk about there too which I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really expecting, but you know, it kind of caught me off guard. A lot of the stuff in this movie because it's very blatant about these things. It's not even, I mean, it's telling you straight up. And there's also, uh, I mean, there's a lot of good filmmaking on display in this movie. Um, this is directed by Adam McKay, which is funny to me because he's the same guy that did like Talladega Nights and fucking uh stepbrothers and all those dumb will ferrell movies right that we love i love you know i love talladega nights and anchorman and all that shit but it's just funny how he's transitioned his career into making these kind of politically charged movies um this movie in particular is getting um uh, I mean, when it came out, it's it's been out for uh, a few months at this point. Um, so I'm a little late to the game talking about it. But when it came out, there was a bit of controversy around it. You know, it's kind of a politically charged movie. Leonardo DiCaprio was going around promoting it, talking about, like, climate change. And he was saying that it was a movie specifically about climate change, which... He can say that, but after watching the movie a couple times, I kind of disagree with that statement. I mean, sure, you could interpret it in that way, but this is a movie, you know, it's art. It can be interpreted any way you want to. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio didn't make this movie. I mean, he's he's an actor in it, okay? There's a lot of concepts in this film that have to do with the occult and... Uh, this kind of weird realm of knowledge that isn't like you know that not everybody like you you would miss it if you didn't know about it you know like just these little things in the film so um I guess I should just give a little review I mean like I said I liked it um I actually liked it better than I thought I would because I had heard negative things about it, and some people didn't like it, and some people did. I liked it. I thought it was good. You know, Adam McKay was working with Will Ferrell a lot, so 
he's always kind of had a sense of humor throughout his movies. Um, he also did The Big Short, which is also a little bit of a political movie. I mean, it's not overtly political because it's about the economic crash of 2008. And I actually haven't seen it, but, you know, I think it deals with, you know, insider trading or, I don't know, just the corruption going on on Wall Street during 2008 and the whole, uh, what's it called, recession. I guess that's what it's called. Um, and then he did a movie about Dick Cheney with Christian Bale, um, which is, you know, definitely a bit of a political move. Um, I, that's another movie I haven't seen. See, I don't like, you know, I typically don't like these types of movies, these kind of like real life based on real political figures, like real, I mean, sometimes I will, but it's not something I really seek out. But, um, and it's funny, I just remember Christian Bale played Dick Cheney, and he thanked Satan for teaching him how to play Dick Cheney, which, <laughs> I mean, he said that at, like, uh, Golden Globes or something. He's trying to be funny, but I don't know, I thought it was a little weird. Um... The film deals with a lot of different things, um, which is what I like about it. It's really dense, and there's a lot going on. I mean, there's a lot of... There's just a lot that the film tackles, you know, things like government corruption and celebrity worship. That's another big one that it kind of... I am glad that it shines a light on because celebrity worship and... America, especially, I mean, celebrity worship all around the world is pretty bad. I mean, celebrities are worshipped to no end, and it's, it's something that drives me crazy, but I know it's weird. It's almost like people in in place of, like, it seems like the less religious you are, the more you kind of, but I'm not religious, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. I'm I'm not going to turn this into like a religious debate conversation or anything like that. But um, yeah, it also deals with you know like anti-science, you know, and not you know the masses kind of distrusting the established order of things, you know, not believing people and positions of power, you know, whether that be scientists or politicians or, you know, all sorts of things. And we see that now with, you know, the pandemic, um, you know, at the time I'm recording this, Russia and Ukraine are having, you know, we're on the verge of fucking World War Three, which, you know, you could say makes this film even more relevant because it's about this kind of impending doom, right? So... Let's just get into the plot, I guess, because it, it's probably going to take me a little while. I don't know how long this is going to be, but um, if you haven't seen the film, I suggest you go do that before listening to this, just because, well, first of all, spoilers, I'm going to describe basically every fucking thing that happens in the movie, um, but it, it's a good movie, it's pretty funny, um, you know, Adam McKay's funny director it's got Jonah Hill in it you know Jonah Hill's funny Jennifer Lawrence is pretty funny the, the whole cast is funny and I like the movie I'd give it like 
three and a half stars out of five. So there's my review. Anyways, so the film begins with Jennifer Lawrence's character. And I'm not, I should be, but I'm not entirely sure what she does. I just know that she's kind of like this low-level astronomer at uh, the University of Michigan. Uh, or uh, Michigan State, you know? So the film starts with her working at a desk, at a computer desk, and she's rapping. <laughs> it's it's actually a little cringy. I will say, I was a little like, Ugh, why is Jennifer Lawrence rapping? You know, I just don't. It, at first, it kind of caught me off guard, but I will say she was rapping Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, and she was rapping, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Now, the lyrics are actually relevant to the film and all of its underlying themes. And I found that to be interesting. She says, inside the room, Dr. Doom, prepare for the boom, bam, I slam. And what that's referencing in the film is that, I mean, this film is about an asteroid, basically, that uh, Jennifer Lawrence discovers is headed directly towards earth and it's going to be an extinction level event if someone doesn't stop it basically and so you know right in the very opening scene you know through lyrics the director is kind of telling you what the film is about inside the room dr doom prepare for the boom bam i slam I'm causing more family feuds than Richard Dawson, which is kind of an interesting line. Richard Dawson, I had to look this up. I didn't know who he was. At first, I thought it was Richard Dawkins, who is like the atheist guy, I think, which would also make sense. But (laughs) Richard Dawson was actually the host of Family Feud. Um, But in context with the movie, you know, to put that line in there, causing more family feuds than Richard Dawson. I mean, we live in very political, politically turbulent times, you know, families, you know, you hear a lot nowadays about families being separated by just crazy beliefs, you know, you've got the QAnon families, you know, where, you know, people are having to get divorces, and it's messy, you know, it's messy out there, um, so I found that an interesting line for them to leave in. Um, and and the survey said, you're dead, fatal flying guillotine chops off your fucking head, which is just kind of a funny line. And, um, well, I mean, if we're doing spoilers, I can just say, I mean, that's basically what happens. I mean, this is a very, um, uh, it, it borders on nihilistic at times, but, Anyways, we're shown this, like, big, massive telescope at Michigan State, right? And there's lots of things around this office that Jennifer Lawrence is um, working at. And for just a second, we're shown this, like, it looks like a FLIR-type photo. I don't know if you've ever seen FLIR, like, thermal photos. But it looks like an eye. So that's your first little bit of symbolism, the eye, the evil eye. Um, or the eye of providence, or the all-seeing eye, whatever you want to call it, we see an eye. It's very deliberately shown. It's cut in there, and there's a lot of things in this movie that are deliberately shown, things in the background, things that you would miss if you weren't 
looking, but I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a fucking weirdo, and I'm looking for these this type of shit, so... You know, that was the first thing I noticed was the eye. And I was like, okay, well, already we, we got some good stuff. We got some good, we already we're getting shown the eye. So, which to everyone else, it's probably just fucking eye. No one cares. So anyways, um, we get this like a small little montage of her looking at these photos that she's getting from her telescope and her eyes get really big and she's kind of like she almost looks panicky you know we know the film is about an asteroid barreling towards earth but it's funny because we see her and she looks very concerned and worried but then there's like this really harsh cut to her with leonardo dicaprio and they're actually celebrating and they're popping champagne and they're they decide to name the asteroid after her, Jennifer Lawrence's character, um, for discovering it, basically. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a very exciting, good thing. You know, they get excited over some asteroid out in barreling out in space. You know, they're nerds. They're fucking nerds. That's what they are. <laughs> and that's another thing that's funny. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio is in this, but he plays a nerd. And he plays a nerd so well like I was uh, he's such a he's a very good actor I'll give him that man he's one of the better actors working I mean he's he's good in everything he's in pretty much I mean he's always good but um uh, Leo he gives a little reference to Carl Sagan you know you got to shout out Carl Sagan in this kind of sciencey, spacey type movie about, you know, nerds. Because Carl Sagan was a nerd too. Um, now, it's during this scene that we're shown um, an office room in the background. And there's this large poster of Saturn that is shown directly behind Jennifer Lawrence's head basically and it's it's I mean it's a picture of Saturn and I know I've mentioned Saturn a million times on this fucking podcast so far and I still intend to do like a whole episode breaking it all down but Saturn is very relevant to this and that was shown intentionally and I will explain why later on and you will see why later on I mean it they're, they show it for a reason. It's not just there because, oh, it's spacey. Like, no, it's directly linked to the occult and these occult ideas that I talk about on, on here and I will be continuing to talk about on here. So very important that you remember the poster of Saturn. So um, in this scene also, Leo, he, he realizes when he's doing the math that this comet is basically headed towards earth and then it gets all kind of like dark and it's like oh shit you know no more sipping on champagne no more popping bottles right we're about to fucking we're probably about to fucking die is what he realizes so he ends up contacting the planetary defense coordination office which the film jokes about because it sounds kind of ridiculous and Jennifer Lawrence she says is that is that a real place to which Leo says I have no idea but the film literally stops and throws a title on the screen confirming to the audience that it is indeed a real place um so 
and I took a few little notes here, the Planetary Defense Coordination Office is a planetary defense organization established in January of 2016 within NASA's Planetary Science Division of the Science Mission Directorate. Um, I don't know if that has anything to... I don't think that has anything to do with the Space Force. Um, but I don't know. Apparently, it's a real place. It's a real deal. It's a real thing. So, it's kind of funny. But um, it, it, to talk to these guys, he's put on hold for this phone call, which is funny because it's commenting on... And this film does this a lot. These kind of various different ridiculous levels of bureaucracy that he's having to go through you know i mean he has information that could possibly save the fate of humanity i mean he you know this information that a comet is barreling towards planet earth and you know he's being put on hold you know to, t to talk to someone about this so it's a small detail but some people might miss it i thought that was clever and they do that a lot here, which is great. I mean, the bureaucracy in this country is fucking ridiculous. Don't let anybody try to tell you otherwise. I, I mean, <laughs> look, you can be believe what you want to believe, but I think more often than not, you are having to sign something. You are having to have paperwork. You are having to be put on hold. You are having to go through this process to get what you want, and it's not... Um, I mean, look, we have, <laughs> see, this is turning into a deep conversation that I didn't really want to have, but, you know, America, we, we have a lot of privileges in this country, and, you know, I don't take that for granted. I don't want it to seem like I take it for granted. You know, we have privileges, we have freedoms, but there is a lot of already kind of bureaucratic nonsense that we put up with as a society, and it's only it's only going to get worse and it does seem to get worse all the time. I mean, just like airport security. Right. But anyways, um, he tells the office that there's going to be this extinction level event and, you know, the person, they're like, okay, well, let's not be too dramatic. Let's not be too dramatic here. <laughs> uh, which is funny. And, and then they're kind of whisked away and summoned to Washington, D.C., uh, to inform the Pentagon and the President of the United States about this. Okay, so the President in this movie is played by Meryl Streep, which is interesting for a number of reasons I'm about to kind of get into, but, um, you know, her president in this is pretty much the, a Donald Trump type. You know, she she's kind of uh, bombastic. She doesn't seem to give a fuck about what anyone thinks about her. She's smoking cigarettes in the off in the oval office she's she's a piece of work you know she's kind of a bitch and no one no one really seems to like her or actually respect her and her followers seem very dumb so <laughs> i mean there's some clear connections to trump right um and she shows up late to the meeting you know that's how she's introduced you're meant to not like her um and she delays things even further uh due to some Supreme Court nominee. So, anyways, while they're waiting to discuss things with her, 
Jennifer Lawrence walks into, so they're in the White House, right? And she walks into what appears to be like a break room or lunch room or something. And it has a checkerboard floor on the ground. Now, why does a checkerboard floor matter at all? Checkerboard floors matter because they are typically, I mean, you see them a lot in music videos. They're in a lot of movies, but a lot of the movies that checkerboard floors end up in have these kind of occult, down-the-rabbit-hole type uh, connections. Um, I don't have too many examples off the top of my head right now, but um, it's a thing. Um, and the checkerboard floor is also used in Masonic lodges, if you know anything about the Freemasons. And the Freemasons are kind of like a little secret society. I mean, they're not secret anymore. I mean, they're not like a real secret society. But um, And there are Masonic ideas, more Masonic ideas in this. I mean, we had the eye already, which is also a Masonic symbol. And now we have the checkerboard floor and... There will be more, even more, later on that I mentioned. So uh, the checkerboard floor feels very intentional to me. Um, and it is a concept that, you know, it's, it's very easy to look into. Just type in checkerboard floors on Google and you'll see that there's something, at the very least, something to it. Um, they're not in a kitchen, all right? They're in the break room. So I'll, it seems intentional i'll just leave it at that so oh where are we are you bored yet i hope not because i'm just describing the film i mean that's what this is i'm just describing the film and basically mentioning um these little things that i mentioned i mean there's there's shit in it that you would miss um unless you're paying attention so Jonah Hill is this is where he's introduced and he plays uh Meryl Streep's son and the chief of staff and he's like a raging douchebag but he's you know he's fucking funny and um he tells Leonardo and Jennifer Lawrence that they're not going to be able to talk about shit until the next day after they waited all day in the laundry room in the break room and just waited and waited all day so you know, here's more bureaucracy. Here's more ridiculous bullshit that these two are having to go through to get this extremely important information to the people that need to hear it. You know, I mean, they're trying to talk to the president about this horrible thing that's about to happen, and they, they can't because of just superficial bullshit, you know, that that we all deal with. We all deal with this sort of crap all the time. Um, and... I think it's trying to make a point in saying that. But finally, we get to, you know, this b great scene. I mean, it's a kind of, you know, the confrontation where Leonardo finally tells the president about the seriousness of the fucking impending doom that is coming at them in six months' time. And this is, the scene is great, mostly because of Meryl. I mean, Meryl Streep. Uh, not a fan of her personally, and I'm about to kind of talk about these reasons why, but she is a great actress, and she plays this role perfectly. She's very, um, I don't know, she just, I love the way she conveys all this shit, but she basically tells Leo to tell her why 
she should care why she needs to care and that he has 20 minutes okay he's got 20 minutes to explain the seriousness of the situation and you know she's looking at her watch and leonardo is like he just starts spouting out all this nervous scientific jargon you know no one in the room really understands what the fuck he's saying i don't understand the audience doesn't understand what he's saying he's he's nervous he's rattling over shit and you know jonah hill's just he complains about shit being boring and to just get on with it and tell him what the problem is so they inform them that if the comet makes impact it will basically have the power of a billion hiroshima bombs which you know that's a horrifying thought to imagine right and then you know, Streep, Meryl Streep, she asks how certain they are of this. And then Leonardo says, 100%. And she says, please don't say 100%. And this military guy is like, can we just call it a potentially significant event? And, you know, Streep, she's like, let's just call it 70% and just move on, you know, because she says, she says you can't go around saying to people telling the American public that there's a 100% chance that they're going to die. And that line, I don't know. I mean, the the whole COVID situation, you know, the, the COVID virus, it's, you know, it's like one of those things that just seems like, I don't know. Uh, did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? How much did they know beforehand? You know, did they know how serious this pandemic was going to be? Did they know how many people were going to die? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's just an interesting line at this moment in time, right? I mean, every line in this movie is very intentional. It feels very intentional. And that's another thing I like about it. Um, I think Adam McKay wrote the script, and I think he's a pretty good writer, man. I mean, he writes entertainingly. Like, he, he doesn't write in a way that's too uh, pretentious or right i mean he he's does a good job at conveying things with um little words but also with his actors um i just like i like i like his style i guess is what i'm trying to say um so Jonah Hill kind of laughs at all this. He's he's just cracking up. He's just gonna kick out all of it. And in you know at this point, Meryl Street says, "We will. We should get some of our scientists on this. You know, no offense, but you're two people that just walked in here. That's what she says. Um, so that is also an interesting line. Living in COVID times, I mean." You know, we're we're told and we're beaten into the head to trust science and to trust the doctors and to trust trust science, right? That's the big thing right now. Like, if you don't trust science, then you're some alt right QAnon nut job who doesn't, who's you know uneducated and all these things. And there's certainly those types of people out there, but you know. And granted, this is just a movie, but. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, she says, she says, um, let's get our scientists on it, you know. Of course, implying like, you know, does the White House have their own scientists or, 
second. My fucking dog just took a shit right next to me, dude. Just right on the fucking floor. Just dropped a wet, juicy turd for me to pick up. But, um, okay, so we were talking about the whole please don't say 100%. Um, oh, yeah, the scientists, our scientists. We should get some of our scientists on this, you know. So, you know, of course the White House would have their own scientists or... You know, a Trump has his own scientists, or I don't know. It it does. It's commenting on. Um, I don't know. I don't want to get too deep in that. Actually. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Um, so what I get from that. Yeah, so what I get from that is that, yes, we should trust science, but let's also not be blind to the fact that scientists can be bought and paid for in a way, you know? I mean, we should trust science, but should we trust science always, you know? I mean, every single time. I mean, in the film, the president doesn't like what she hears, so she says, let's get some of our scientists on it, which, you know, I could see happening. I mean, Trump, did we trust anything coming out of Trump's White House? I mean, not really. Um, and I'm not a fan of Dr. Fauci or whatever his name is. But that's not what this is about. Again, this isn't about, I don't want to turn this into that kind of conversation. Okay, this isn't that. Um, so during this scene when President Meryl Streep is talking, um, we see some pictures on her desk, and the first picture shown is actually a real picture. I've looked this up, and it's a real picture, and it is a picture of Meryl Streep hugging President Bill Clinton. Um, and, you know, it's it's first of all, it's kind of, it's a little scary that they included this picture in there, honestly, because, I mean... Meryl Streep in the film she's playing like a corrupt president and then in real life she's you know a picture shown of her in real life hugging Bill Clinton who was also pretty much a real life corrupt politician I mean say what you will about his political career or whatever but you know I mean Bill Clinton has close to I mean I will say Meryl Streep was very good friends with Harvey Weinstein. I don't know if you remember her referring to him as God at some stupid fucking award show and, you know, basically bowing down to him and talking about how great he was. And, you know, they were great friends. And Bill Clinton, you know, I mentioned Bill Clinton because, you know, he had very close ties to Jeffrey Epstein. And he flew to that weird fucking island on that weird fucking plane, and he went without Secret Service members as well, you know? That's a very rare and not okay thing. I mean, the president's supposed to take Secret Service everywhere, okay? You know, let alone, like, some fucking island, you know, that no one knows about, really. I mean, everyone knows about now, but at the time, it was a shady thing, so... Anyways, this picture is shown. There's also a picture of Streep shown with Mariah Carey, who <laughs> I could probably do a whole episode on. Mariah Carey has lots of weird Illuminati shit going on, but, um, you know, when 
I think it's Biggie who says that Mariah Carey's kind of scary. And it's true, dude, looking into her, her background, her family. Pretty fucking weird. But anyways, um, she discusses how there have been a bunch of um, end-of-the-world meetings in her time. And they mention, they mention these in the film. She mentions economic collapse, loose nukes, car exhaust killing the atmosphere. And then Jonah Hill uh, jumps in. He's like, yeah, rogue AI, drought, famine, Alien invasion. He mentions alien invasion, which anytime aliens are mentioned in movies, especially movies like these, like my ears perk up. I love like alien shit, uh, you know, UFOs, close encounter of the third kind, alien invasion type shit. I, I, I love that stuff. So, you know, it was interesting to me that they mentioned that, um, you know, population growth, hole in the ozone. So they've had these types of meetings before. So, you know, and the, and the film brings up a good point in sharing that because if you were in their situation, you know, well, we have had, you know, several of these meetings before. So what makes this one any different than those? But, you know, except this time, this is actually fucking happening, you know, and this asteroid is barreling towards Earth. You know, and it will kill everybody when it hits the planet. You know, so. Now, after this meeting, Jennifer Lawrence and there's also this planetary defense force guy. Oh, dude, what's his name? He's a black guy. (laughs) I feel bad for not remembering his name. Uh, He's been in quite a bit of stuff. He's like uh, Rob Morgan. Rob Morgan is his name. Um, so Lawrence, Morgan, Leo, they're, they're all talking about how they need to leak this information to the press since what they discussed during this meeting at the White House was considered classified. You know, they don't want to go to jail. So now at this point, I mean, we're about like 25 minutes into the movie at this point. Um, I don't even know how long we've been recording, but um, about 25 minutes into the film when we're introduced to this character who's played by Mark Rylance. He's also in this movie. Mark Rylance has been in like a bunch of Spielberg movies. and He's a big actor. He's a big name. He's been in a lot of stuff, but he's playing uh, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, techie corporate type you know so he's introduced giving a big presentation that's you know very similar to the ones that you know apple does you know steve jobs would get up on the stage in his fucking turtleneck and talk about how great the fucking iphone was um now the screen on the stage there's a screen on the stage and it's showing the creation of adam by michelangelo which is an amazing painting a beautiful painting and loads of different ways you could interpret that painting alone but um it's instead of the finger of you know adam or or god god you know the finger of god he's holding a cell phone so in reference to the cell phone the announcer says a simple gesture that created so much Sometimes it can even feel like too much. 
until now, introducing Bash Life. Life without the stress of living. Which is kind of funny, but also, you know, it's like life without the stress of living. Like, that's what... That's what society seems to be falling into, man. It's like people... I mean, it's almost like stress overload. You know, people are working... Most people are working 40-hour weeks, struggling to make ends meet. A lot of people are just living paycheck to paycheck. Cost of living keeps going up. Crazy shit. You know, we're living in a pandemic now. We're on the brink of World War III. I mean, at a certain point, the stress becomes too much, right? And we are looking for ways to both escape and to make a life less stressful and these corporations prey on that, dude. They're preying on on us all the time. And people don't, you know, uh, a lot of people fail to recognize this because, you know, we're the victims or whatever. I don't know. Not to get into much of a tangent, but um, let's see... So he calls the Bash Life phone integrated into your every feeling and desire without you needing to say a single word, which made me think of the Tesla phone, the Neuralink phone that I think is coming out next year. Um, People are going to be getting chips in their fucking brain, I guess, or something implanted in their brain, and they're going to be able to use their phone this way. Um, And in the movie... You know, this guy is talking about how, you know, your phone will show you your vitals and your blood pressure, your heart rate, and funny videos will make you not sad anymore. And it can also schedule therapy sessions for your poor mental health, (laughs) which I found humorous, right? Um, So we can make sure that these sad feelings never, ever return. Um but that doesn't make any sense, right? Because we're human beings. We have to experience sadness. We have to have feelings of sadness. And to get rid of feelings of sadness is not is not right. But that's what a lot of these nerds, people like Mark Zuckerberg, people like Bill Gates, people like Steve Jobs, these people that are in positions of power, I mean, they are affecting us. They are manipulating society in a way i mean by giving us this technology and this technology is designed in a certain way knowing what they know about us and our brains and the way our brains function a lot like a computer do so there's a lot to unpack there and i you know i don't want to get too heady or too deep with any of this or too cringy you know is what i mean so So this guy, Mark Rylance, he's given a couple photos of the asteroids. We're shown him getting some pictures of the asteroids. He's looking at it. He's like, "Mm, okay, this is very interesting. So in an effort to inform the public, back to Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, they're told to go on a TV show called The Daily Rip, a day before their story is leaked to the public so that they can... Uh, warm people up before they find out about this information, I guess. I can't really remember. I watched this movie a couple times. Um, I watched it... Last time I watched it was a few weeks back, so I don't remember every little detail, but um, 
The show is hosted by these like two very obnoxious hosts played by Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett, which is a really odd combination. Um, but they're pretty funny together. Like they have pretty good chemistry. But they're playing like a Ryan and Kelly type, you know, just completely brain dead. Just just the type of morning show host or the type of show host that I don't know. There's definitely a type, you know, and they play that type. Um, so they, it was funny that like Tyler Perry, he asked Leonardo's character if aliens are real, which, you know, another moment where I kind of perk up. I'm like, okay, what's this movie going to say about aliens? But, um, Leo just basically says more than likely yes, but we don't have the proof. But, you know, everyone loves the, uh, the aliens, right? And that's another thing that this uh, movie's saying through this is that everyone loves talking about the aliens. Aliens are not going anywhere. Conversations about aliens and UFOs are not going anywhere. We're going to be hearing more about this shit in the future. I mean, the military has all that confirmed that I mean, they have confirmed that, you know, there's shit flying around that they don't know what it is, or at least that's what they say. So, um, I don't buy that, but that's what they say. Now, uh, they're not taking Jennifer Lawrence or Leonardo DiCaprio, they're not taking their characters seriously, and this causes Jennifer Lawrence to blow up on live television. She freaks out and she starts yelling about you know the seriousness of everything how nobody understands and how you know everyone's fake happy all the time and it's a pretty good little speech but Leonardo gives a better one at the end of the film but um so the internet starts creating memes about her you know and she goes viral online and we're shown some of these memes um one compares Jennifer Lawrence to Charles Manson, which, um, you know, there's plenty of conspiracy theories around Charles Manson. And then there's a very peculiar meme shown, a very specific meme of Jennifer Lawrence holding a baby, a baby with blood dripping from her mouth and blood covering the baby, implying that she eats babies, basically. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, now, Leo talks about how everything, you know, and it's in this scene, how when Leo, Leonardo just is talking about how everything is corrupt. Everything is corrupt, from the media to the politics to everything in between. So... Another unfortunate line that feels relevant. So, cut to a funny scene of Leo arguing with someone on social media. And speaking of conspiracy theories, we get a little mention of conspiracy theories. He's 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 at the computer all hunched over and he's typing. He's arguing with someone on social media and he types, It is called the scientific method and it is what created the computer that you are typing your half-witted conspiracy theories on. What do you think about that? And he's smiling and he's all proud of himself. Um, but the sad part about this scene is that his wife is trying to get him to go on a walk <laughs> with her. Um, and he's too busy arguing with p 
people on the internet about conspiracy theories. So, you know, another kind of sad, relevant scene, you know, showing how people are just more distracted by all this bullshit on Facebook. You know, they get more passionate and more caring about these things on Facebook than they do in real life, you know. And his wife is standing right there, and he hardly even acknowledges her. So, once again, we go to the White House with Lawrence and Leo. And I'm only calling them that because I don't know their characters' names, and it's easier for you guys, I'm sure. So, now, Jonah Hill's character tells Leo that, yes, we had our scientists who went to the prestigious schools of Harvard, Princeton, etc., and uh, they confirmed the data. They confirmed the data. So we would like to offer you a presidential apology, basically. So, of course, and, you know, I've seen pictures of, like, Jeffrey Epstein in Harvard sweaters, you know, like, which makes you question Harvard, like, wonder about Harvard. And I heard this guy talking about these types of colleges saying that it's not that they're any harder to get into. It's that they're, they're like, you don't have to be smart. It's just harder to get into. And it's more about how hard it is to get into than it is the type of education that you're going to get. I mean, you're going to get the same type of education at Princeton or Harvard than you would at, you know, most good to decent colleges i mean you're paying for a college education regardless i mean you're getting you're spending time in the library regardless like i don't know if that makes any sense but um so the scene is then intercut with the president giving a speech to the american people about the comment so this is kind of a big scene and you know it's intercut because while she's giving this speech, she's also talking in the White House and the Oval Office to Leo and everyone about how, first of all, they need to make it appear to the American people that the whole thing is under control. And this is another aspect of the film that I really like, that it shows how the public's perception is affected by... I mean, the people in charge, they understand perception. They understand that a lot of things hinge on the way we perceive things to be happening um, more so than what is actually happening. Like, as long as we buy into a certain narrative, as long as we buy into a certain way of things, then, you know, it, it, we remain status quo or whatever. So... She says that they need to do this by having a, quote, hero. And they say Washington always has to have a hero. And in a way, that's kind of true. Um, again, I don't really have any shining examples off the top of my head. But, you know, it does seem to be that way. I mean, uh, they seem to use our military as the hero, you know, a lot of the time, right? And... Uh, it's all veterans, thank you for her service and all that, but, you know, a lot of the times they're not the hero. They're not the real heroes either, so. Um, so they ask Medal of Freedom recipient and outspoken patriot 
to to do it and he's played by oh this other really sketchy guy dude i cannot remember i, I i've come across his face a lot going down the rabbit hole ron perlman Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman has been in this industry for a long time, and he's a sketchy guy. And they even cast him as the sketchy guy. He's like a sketchy military guy. And Leo's like, uh, isn't that the guy that was screaming at a bunch of children on the White House lawn? And then it cuts to him, like, literally cursing out these little kids. Funny scene, funny scene, but, you know. Also, just is wrong, just wrong. Now, um, they also say that. Okay, no, 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 no. This is what I wanted to mention in the room that they're discussing this. This is an important little detail. They we're shown a picture of George Bush hanging on the wall. But right next to this picture are two obelisks, okay, Egyptian obelisks. And obelisks are very symbolic, okay, especially in both the occult and our politics. I mean, just look at the fucking Washington Monument. I mean, that is an obelisk, okay? So we have two obelisks above a fireplace and a picture of George Bush right next to them. I mean, it feels... I feel like I definitely understand what's trying to be conveyed here. Now, after we get this, like, montage of the campaign to save the world, basically, um, so Leonardo DiCaprio is shown on this, like, Sesame Street-type show explaining the science of the situation, and it, it very much relates to, like, I mean, Dr. Fauci was just on Sesame Street talking about COVID not that long ago. So there's a little connection there. Um, you know, Leo's back on the fucking dumb talk show with Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett. And Blanchett makes a move on Leonardo DiCaprio, seducing him, which, you know, kind of, you could interpret it as being like these different kind of political sources being in bed with each other, you know, because science, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is the scientist at this point, but he's kind of in bed with the media, you know. He's going on Sesame Street. He's doing the Save the World campaign, this campaign that, come to find, is actually pretty useless and it's not doing any good for anybody. Um, so, you know, Leonardo is a cheater in this. And that hurts his character, you know, as a person of science, right? Um, now, uh, skip ahead a little bit. Mark Rylance, back to Mark Rylance. His Steve Jobs type character comes in because things are feeling like pretty hopeless. Like I just said at this point, we kind of find that, you know, they're save the world campaign is not working and they need a real plan. So Mark Rylance's Steve Jobs type character kind of shows up. And um, first of all, this scene takes place in a boardroom meeting where a painting of the Civil War is hanging above Mark Rylance's head and this whole speech that he's giving. So I found that interesting too. Um, all these intentional little paintings and things in the background, I mean, they feel purposeful. They feel like 
they were put there for a reason. And I don't know what all the reasons are, of course, but I feel like they're there for a reason. And you don't always get that attention to detail in these types of movies, um, especially a Netflix movie. <laughs> but anyways, um, so Mark Rylance talks about all these different minerals that are needed to create technology. So like phones and computers and how they're kind of running short, which, you know, this is a line in the movie. And just like in real life, I mean, I don't think this film was written at the time of COVID. This was written before COVID is what Adam McKay said. But, you know, he says that they're running low on the minerals to create these types of technologies. And I just can't help but think about the microchip shortage and how technology is prices are skyrocketing because there's a chip shortage right now, and especially with cars and stuff like that. So just another little connection, unintentional, I'm sure, but interesting how fiction sometimes ends up reflecting in reality. Um, so he laughs and he talks about how happy he was like a fucking sociopath. He talks about how happy he was to find out about the comet because it actually contains $32 trillion worth of rare fucking space minerals that he wants and needs for his technology. Uh, so, you know, he's stoked about the asteroid because he's like, you know what? We're just going to fucking mine it. We're going to mine it. And this pisses Leonardo DiCaprio off. Um, cause you know, he, he, I mean, he even says what use is the money if everyone is dead. However, Rylance, he has this cocked, cooked up this plan to use advanced futuristic technology to blow the comet up in hopes of breaking it up into 30 smaller meteoroids, which they see as kind of much more manageable than one giant cataclysmic comet you blow it up into smaller meteoroids and you can, Earth can kind of handle that. Um, so he discusses drones, nanotechnology, and quantum fission explosives. Now, quantum fission explosives, I do not think that they are a thing. I do not know if they are a thing, but I do not think that they are a thing because I've read about quantum fission being used in UFOs and like kind of like weird alien technology. Now, they mention CERN here, um, and I've talked about CERN a little bit before, but they're kind of like a, a sketchy science organization in real life. But they say that CERN, they mention CERN in the movie and bring them up and say that their particle accelerator credited them for being able to splinter the comet into smaller pieces. So, yeah, and then it's, it's at this point that Rylance refers to them the, or the asteroid, the treasure from heaven because of, of them, poverty, social injustice, loss of biodiversity, all the world's problems will be solved and humanity will, quote, stride through the pillars of Boaz and Akin naked into the glory of a golden age. And this is a lot about what the movie is actually really about. That line right there, um, the evolution of man. Uh, you know, it all sounds too good to be true. 
uh, Leo is not happy about the plan, and he he says, "quote They have all the power." Now, what is Boaz and Hakeem? This goes back to Freemasonry and the secret societies. I don't think it's any coincidence that right before, right after talking about Boaz and Hakeem, there's a line that Leo says saying that they have all the power. I mean, these people running the show, these people running the shit, they do have all the power. Um, and Boaz and Akeen, these are the twin pillars that are associated with Freemasonry, and they originate from the Bible and the biblical accounts of King Solomon's temple. So in Kings chapter 7 and chapter 8, the verse 621 Quote, and he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple, and he set up the right pillar and called the name there of Hakim, and he set up the left pillar and called the name there of Boaz. So pillars also appear in art and architecture a lot, but they can also kind of symbolize a couple different things, especially in Freemasonry. So you have the masculine and the feminine. And in Freemasonry, they're usually black and white. You'll have a black pillar and a white pillar, which represent the masculine and the feminine, or good, bad, dark, light, yin, yang, that sort of thing. That's what the pillars of Boaz and Akin represent. And, um, you know, you see these pillars on lots of architecture, but, you know, these pillars in esoteric means tend to represent an entryway to a sacred place or a realm of like higher enlightenment and spiritual transformation um, and sometimes oftentimes you'll have a third pillar which just go to mecca um, the big cube in mecca there's three pillars in there you have two pillars and then one in the middle so the idea is that the two create one unified pillar. It's kind of like the idea of the Baphomet a little bit, if you know anything about Baphomet. And he's the goat with the, you know, with the breasts. And um, it says solve and coagula on his left arm and his right arm. So that's where Boaz and Akeem come into this. and Or Freemasonry comes into this. Um, because, we, you know, we saw the checkerboard floors earlier and this whole movie i mean really i mean leonardo caprio says that this movie is about climate change but to me after watching this a couple of times this movie is very clearly about the evolution of man this is about mankind and what we're doing currently how we're living our lives currently and how we are on a pathway towards possible destruction, um, but also possible rebirth. There's a lot of uh, there's a, there's a lot to you could interpret it a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways. So we're kind of at the halfway point now. So. There's really only one more really big scene that I want to talk about. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. 
So Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Rob Morgan, you know, the head of the planetary defense guy, they're at a bar at this point, and they're kind of discussing with their frustrations with the plan that Mark Rylance and the president cooked up about blowing the meteor up because, you know, well, Jennifer Lawrence says she ends up telling all the people in the bar. She's kind of having like a fucking mental breakdown, and she ends up telling all the people in the bar about the comet and how they found a bunch of rare, valuable shit on it and how it's going to make a bunch of rich people even richer, <laughs> basically, is what she says. And this causes people to start rioting and smashing windows and looting and that sort of thing, which... You know, we've seen lots of those images in the past few years, just all over the world, even. Um, but um, she's kidnapped by the FBI, and she's told to keep her mouth shut, and she has to, like, quit her job for some reason. And, you know, then we cut to her being a cashier for some reason. I don't know why she's cashier right now at this point. But this is where Timothy Chalamet is introduced. Um Timothy Chalamet, he's in a lot of he's been in a lot of shit as of late. Um, he was in Dune, if you heard of Dune, um, which is a great film. I'm not crazy about him as an actor, but he's, I mean, he's okay. He's okay, but um, he he's playing in this movie. He's playing this sort of rebellious, for the cause hippie type guy, and he, you know he's young and he's hip, but he doesn't give a fuck. And but he's also a Christian, and he claims to be a Christian, which also plays a film, plays into the film later. Um, and it's it's but it's right after this scene is what I to be what I consider to be the most significant scene in the whole film. So Leonardo DiCaprio is flown out to Mark Rylance's facility to see firsthand these futuristic drones that are going to blow up the comet. Now, these drones, uh, Mark Rylance is, like, talking to these drones. He's being, he's weird. He's a fucking weirdo. He's talking to the drones. He's like, he's like, you're mankind savior. You're just mankind savior. So he's talking to the drone, and he asks him to come to him, kind of like a baby. And he's like, come here, my boy. It's your father, Kronos. Come on. You're going to be a god in the sky. I know that's. It sounded probably fucking weird, but that's what he says, okay? Your father, Kronos, come on, you're going to be a god in the sky. Kronos. This goes back to Saturn, okay? So the planet Saturn was shown at the beginning of the film, a picture of Saturn. Now, Saturn is associated with Kronos. Kronos and Saturn are basically the same thing. I mean, they go hand in hand. The planet Saturn is associated with Kronos. Now, Kronos... There's a couple of different Kronos uh, verbiage a little bit, but it all ties back to Greek mythology, okay? So in Greek mythology, Kronos was the son of Uranus and Gaia, and he gave birth to Zeus, okay? And Zeus ended up taking the place of Kronos, but Kronos was a titan, okay? He was, And the titans were like these big... Big, big celestial type beings, I guess. Um, I think of the Eternals, which we'll be talking about. That's the next movie I'm talking about, by the way, Marvel's Eternals. But I wanted to get this one out of the way first because it's the easier one to talk about, really. But um, 
so Kronos overthrew his father. This is in Greek mythology. Kronos overthrew his father by castrating him with a scythe. Okay, which is interesting. And one, how brutal it is. Two, this story is more than likely portraying, and Kronos and Saturn have been painted this way, okay, as eating their own children, okay? There's some pretty graphic paintings out there of Saturn devouring his son, um, his children, eating children, okay? That's what Kronos tends to be associated with um, through this personification, but it's personifying and representing the passage of time and the way that time eats away at man, you know? I mean, time is—we do not have unlimited time. Time kills all, right? Time ends the life of every one of us, you know? So time, chronos, it all ties together. And I also find it interesting that chronos was— Represented with the scythe because the scythe, that symbol, you associate with the rings of Saturn. You can associate with the rings of Saturn. Um, And you can also associate with Nike. I mean, we see the scythe on on Nike, uh, the Nike logo. Um, So this Saturn, Saturnian shit, it is all over the place. Now, Leonardo asks Rylance about this whole project being scientifically peer-reviewed and studied, right? Hoping that he's not approaching the mission like a businessman. And Mark Rylance gets really insulted by this. And he says what I really think is the most important line of the film. And he says, this is evolution. This is evolution of the human species and that is to me what this movie is all about it is about us as a whole us as a society us our our good our bad our evolution where we're moving where we're headed um and how our actions have consequences as a whole in a way and it's um it's a it's kind of powerful stuff. I mean, I found it to be pretty powerful, especially by the end, which we're going to get into a little bit. But this scene, this is the scene that really sealed the deal for me in terms of like, okay, this movie is really saying something. And also talking about Kronos and having all these kind of adult, occult, more esoteric ideas throughout it. I mean, this is a pretty important movie, I think. So... You know, being insulted by Leo, he tells him that his tech company has over 40 million data points on him, on every decision that he's made since 1994, and that he alludes to being all-knowing, saying he knows that Leo has colon polyps months before his doctors do, and that he should get those checked out ASAP. What an asshole, dude. He's a fucking asshole. So, And he, he also continues to say, I know what you are. I know who you are. My algorithms have determined eight fundamental consumer profile types. You are a lifestyle idealist. You think you're motivated by beliefs, high ethical beliefs, but you just run towards pleasure and away from pain. Now, 
this guy is an asshole and he's trying to be an asshole but in a way he's kind of right in describing consumer profile types i think uh i mean he's calling leonardo dicaprio consumer profile type but a lot a lot of different people fit under this 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 concept this idea you know people and i mean who doesn't let's be honest who doesn't have a tendency to run towards pleasure and away from pain i mean that is the human fucking instinct i mean i do it all the time everyone does that you know we're always going to be more inclined to feel good rather than bad you know now he he also brags he says that his algorithms can even predict how someone will die to 96 to 96.5 percent accuracy and that he looked leo's death up after they met the first time and that his death was unremarkable and boring and that he would die alone so it's pretty pretty harsh so cut back to Jennifer Lawrence hanging out with Chalamet and his buddies. And this is a pretty interesting scene, too, because the guys are speculating and kind of conspiracy theorizing about Mark Rylance and the whole situation, the people that are in charge of the mission. And then Jennifer Lawrence's character butts in, which this line kind of pissed me off, but her character butts in. She says, you guys, the truth is way more depressing. They're not even smart enough to be as evil as you're giving them credit for. So I find this line of dialogue pretty fucking ironic coming from Jennifer Lawrence, considering she was very good acquaintances with Harvey Weinstein. There's a lot of information about their relationship online, so there's a little bit of hypocrisy going on in that relation to the real world. You know, I mean... And actually, one of the young guy's theories in the film actually ends up being true. So uh, the theory being that the elites built an escape ship to ditch the planet and find a new one on. um, Because that, that is what ends up happening, which I'm about to get to in just a second. And I'm I'm about to wrap this up because this is this has gone on entirely too long, I feel like. But. Um, so just a couple more scenes to talk about. We get another great scene on that stupid talk show where Leo is back and finally he's had enough and he blows the fuck up live on TV and we get another great, like Leonardo DiCaprio has a habit of just like blowing the fuck up in his movies. Like he's done so many movies where he just blows up and he shouts and he screams and he gives these like very impassioned moments speeches you know and he he gives one here and it's a great speech great speech um you know talking about and it's very poignant too and he talks about how not everything needs to sound so clever or charming or likable and how sometimes we just need to be able to say things to one to one another and to hear things rather than you know a lot of people listen to reply rather than to hear, you know. People are too busy thinking about what they're going to say next than they are thinking about what it is this person is saying, if that makes any sense, Um, which is a message I can, you know, support and get behind, right? 
So he continues his tirade and frustrated that nobody seems to actually be taking the extinction level event seriously. Um, and the ideas behind this speech are pretty kind of kind of scary to think about in relation to our world. So, all right, basically at this point we're pretty much at the end of the film. So I I don't want to break down every little detail but basically the pa- the plan to destroy the comet fails um so mark rylance and his drones i cannot remember exactly what happens with the drones but they they don't work i think they break down and they just don't work you know like his shit doesn't work so everything he was talking about boaz and akeen and you know the evolution of man all all that was bullshit okay he's he decides that he and the president, they ditch Earth in a spaceship, okay? So they had some secret spaceship, you know, that they were going to ditch Earth on, basically, which sounds about right. <laughs> that probably is what would happen. You know, there probably is some secret spaceship somewhere right now uh, that a bunch of rich people are um, looking forward to getting onto at some point in time. Hopefully not in the near future, but who knows? So, meanwhile, um, Leo, Lawrence, and Timothy Chalamet, they go to Leo's wife's house, the one that he cheated on, and she actually caught him cheating on her in the film, and, you know, that's shitty. I always hate when movies do that, and I don't like the cheating character like i just don't like it you know it's like how do i even root for leo's character when he's like cheating on his wife or whatever like it's kind of frustrating but um they decide to put everything aside and have a family dinner which ends up becoming this allegory for the last supper you know they're eating dinner for the last time because you know at this point the comet is barreling towards the planet and it is about to collide with the planet and 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 that's how this movie ends dude the comet does hit the planet and everyone does die i mean and that's it like that's the fucking end of the movie like it does hit the planet so once they're at the dinner table though they're ready to eat to eat and the the comet's about to wipe the planet out leo says well we're not the most religious here in the mindy household but um Maybe we should say amen. Should we do that? And Timothy Chalamet gives actually a very, like, soulful prayer. And, like, I'm not Christian either, but <laughs> this one was, like, a really good prayer. Um, and after that, I mean, the comet collides, and you see them burn up and die excruciatingly in slow motion, basically. And it's actually a pretty sad ending. Like I felt pretty depressed after the movie was over. I got to be honest. Like it's a sad, it's kind of left me feeling kind of heavy, kind of sad. And I really did love the ending. Like I got a little emotional watching it. Like I got a little teary eyed because I think Leo says, we says something about how we, you know, we had it all, you know, and how basically they took everything for granted. And, it's a very human ending. It's a very, very poignant ending. It's an ending that I think... Uh, I, I I think 
I hope it touches everyone the way it touched me. I mean, it, it's it's a good end. I thought it was a good ending, a great ending. Um, so everyone dies except for Madame President and Mark Rylance. They fuck off to another planet. Um, and then there's like a dumb end credit scene, but I won't even talk about that. Um, so thank you for sticking through this if you have. Um Especially if you've already seen the movie. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, hopefully this was like you envisioned it and you heard it and you got something from it. Um, and if you've seen the movie, then hopefully this shines some light on some of the kind of weird little um, things, occult things that you probably wouldn't catch unless you were into this weird shit. So, yeah, uh, be looking for the next episode. I'm all, The next episode, I think, is going to be another movie review. It's going to be less of an analysis um, than this one was. It's going to be more of um, the, the, the occult concepts around it all. This one, I'm really... This one, I really just went down the plot of the whole film, just kind of casually, just, just to talking to the microphone, really. Just talking to the mic and talk about some of these things so thanks for listening and i will catch you on the next one